Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. All right. Side quests. Side quests. Uh, so-, so this is where we're going to get into light fuzzy definition territory because... Uh, especially when you look at the prevalence of open worlds, mm. side quests, as you imply, are becoming more and more the meat of a game. In fact, mm. it feels uh, misleading to call it a call it side quest. In yeah, I mean, I, what is what is? I mean, there's a lot of games where that's. I mean, the side quests are clearly the intended experience. You mentioned Breath of the Wild. There, you go straight to the final boss and win. You end up with a quite a disappointing experience. <laughs> To, to, to me, fucking challenging one like side quest versus critical path, right? Which is like a side quest is defined as anything that is unnecessary to complete the game. Yeah, but that's the thing, isn't it? When we say completing the game, always means specifically in this context is reaching story end. Sure, sure, sure. I'm with which you. is, uh, I mean, the only. The only real indicator that it is story end is that it, they roll the credits afterwards. <laughs> right. It seems seems pretty arbitrary in a game like uh, Breath of the Wild or other like side questy, uh, sandboxy style games. It's just yeah. it just. I mean, in, in a lot of games, it's the big climactic end. It's the big uh, central drive of everything. Yeah. But there's plenty of games where it's just another quest path among several and it just arbitrarily ends with credits that's fair i think like breath of the wild is is definitely an outlier where it truly truly is all side quests everything is optional which makes it special as as far as i'm concerned i think i think if we look at something that's a little more traditionally like open world like a skyrim where there is a ton of side quests but there is also a big meaty main quest section Right. How meaty though? I mean, there's some side tracks in Skyrim that uh, one could argue are almost as meaty. Yes, absolutely. I mean, if you like, give yourself the task of becoming the guild master for all the guilds, mm-hmm. a thieves guild, warriors guild, mages oh, guild, all of uh, that together probably makes a pretty critical path game in itself. Absolutely. Uh, the adventures of uh, Mister Jack of All Trades, Master of None. And how he somehow wins over everyone he meets. <laughs> like, just, like, getting yourself into the Thieves' Guild in general is is a, a meaty few hours. And then that mm-hmm. has all of its own little side quests and and uh, and meanings and, and upgrades. Yeah, it's, it's huge, but not necessary to complete the story of Skyrim, right? Yeah. But there's, like, non-sandbox games that have... Uh... Uh, side quests to a degree mm-hmm. i mean i've been replaying really persona 5 lately right right which has a very clear critical path because like a day-to-day life sim thing it unlocks dungeons at specific parts mm-hmm. of, of the plot but there's still a lot of stuff you do on the side and rather than just like explore you just have to know to go to a specific spot at a specific time and where someone where someone will and talk to some random 
person. Okay. And they will say, boy, I sure wish I had a complete collection of bear scrotums. <laughs> sure. And, and, you... and that feels that feels a lot... Of, I mean, in that case, the side stuff is uh, optional. It's optional mm. stuff, but if you do it, it can also uh, give you extra extra strength for the critical path it makes you you can get extra abilities and get extra items yeah, yeah it makes it makes the critical path slightly easier well and like to me that's like the base level the base level of a, of a side quest yes will give you experience points will give you a, a little more story that has to do with the world my personal favorite side quests always have a way of integrating themselves into the main story quest. Uh, you know, thinking of Breath yes. of the Wild, all all of your champion beast runs are essentially side quests. You don't have to do any of them, but they help you in the final battle, right? Yes. As you know, I'm a great believer in primary loop focused game design. Mm-hmm. I feel like all the side stuff has to feed back into the primary loop, even if it just uh, gives you money. Even sure. if it just gives you money that you can use to buy a better weapon at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there's weird examples like the Yakuza games where the side stuff is completely side, like almost feels like a completely separate game okay. to the critical path. Like it doesn't like in, it doesn't give you anything? It's just fun stuff to do or what? Well, what it, gives, what it gives you like uh, money generally or like items and things, but... Um, it does feel like a, a. It's completely optional because in a lot of cases in the Akaza games, the critical path isn't that hard. Oh, okay, okay. You can just like get through it without using items and mm-hmm. just kick the shit out of everything. <laughs> sure. It's usually, it's usually the premise. But um, the side quest will be like. Well, take the most recent example Yakuza Like a Dragon, which is uh, a turn based RPG with turn based combat, mm-hmm. uh, with dungeons and exploration and all that. And then, just off to the side, there's a business management simulator in there as well that, you, <laughs> that is completely separate from, from the main game, where you, mm-hmm. like, where you spend like billions of yen to buy up businesses and hire staff and position the right staff in the right businesses in order to maximize profits okay and they, specific, and they specifically say the money that you're spending on businesses in the business sim that's money that you can't touch in the main game you can't have that money that money is just for buying business stuff mm-hmm. it's a, it's it's the business's money it's not your personal money <laughs> I think okay, every few yeah. like, every every few levels in the business sim, you get like a a CEO uh, cash bonus, mm-hmm. which is like money you can use elsewhere. But otherwise, it's just sort of <laughs> playing Monopoly on the side. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, and in that in that case, I always felt this is sort of going against my usual um, advice that. Uh, sides plot should tie back into the, into the primary loop at some point because it's the side stuff that kind of makes the Yakuza series it's kind of what gives the series its charm <laughs> yeah yeah because it's it's nothing if not audacious I mean this is the games where you fight enemies by picking up park benches and and uh, swing them around <laughs> and grab people and smash their noses into passing cars bumpers <laughs> sure it's it's a game series characterized by audacity <laughs> and the fact that there's an entire section of the game that's probably had a completely different team working on it, yeah, that's absolutely nothing to do with the critical path and completely irrelevant, 
And there's like something like this in every Yakuza game. In Like a Dragon is the management sim. Mm-hmm. In uh, Yakuza Kiwami, I think, there's like model car racing. Oh, okay. In in one of the games, there's like a... It's like sort of like a Pokemon Snap style uh, rail shooter <laughs> side thing you can do. That's this is why I've never played these games. I just can't... <laughs> I just but can't it's the fact it. that... This entire ridiculously elaborate thing is in the game purely optionally and very easy to miss. Mm-hmm. Sort of adds to the game's image as sure. incredibly audacious games, I suppose. <laughs> They're even audaciously designed. <laughs> sure, okay. I can be with you there. I think, uh, uh, and w- while I've never played those, I, I, I guess I understand your argument. I think we can look to games um, like Witcher 3, which has a billion and one side quests. Mm. But as we've discussed before, those side quests are also integrated very well into the general story as that's a witcher's job is to roam from town to town and obtain mm. side quests, right? Exactly. It's all like building the uh, the tone. It's mm. setting, the, setting the tone. Absolutely. Building the... Of course... Uh, I was sort of arguing against my real feelings in this week's episode oh, because, okay. to my mind, a side quest is what defines an open-world game. Sure. Although, there are examples of open-world games that don't have side quests. Really? Mafia 2. Mafia okay. 2 is an open-world game that doesn't have side quests. Then... Why is it an open world game? That would be a very good question. (laughs) You drive to the part of the open world where the next mission and the critical path is. You do the mission and the game goes, well done. Now go home and go to bed. And you do. And that's all you do. That's insanity. I know. And (laughs) which proves my point. If you don't have side quests in open world, everyone thinks you're insane. Huh. Yeah. Because that's the whole point of an open world. Like, you know, like I said during the regular episode, like that choice is is part of what makes side quests so much fun is is just saying, hey, there's a little there's a little cave over there. Do I want to go in that cave right now, even though I'm on this other mission? Yeah. Yeah, I do want to go in that cave. (laughs) The side quest is the symbol of the open world game. Yes, it is. It is its totem. It is its spirit animal. It's the symbol of interactivity is is like what I was boiling that argument down to, which is just like the the idea of like a video game being an interactive medium. The side quest is that ultimate thing. Do you want to do this? You can. You don't have to. It's up to you. And I think that's so beautiful. Hmm. So we were going to talk about our favorite specific examples of side quests absolutely actually you know what before we get there just on the note of interactivity i was looking up the history of the side quest Mm -hmm. um and and the reason why i i I brought uh gygax and uh and arneson into it is that the guy gary gygax and dave arneson are the creators of the original dungeons and dragons and according to i figured I knew Gygax was. I didn't know who that other motherfucker was. (laughs) Uh, uh, So according to my research, the the history of side quests can be found within Dungeons & Dragons, specifically the 1979 version of the Dungeon Master's Guide, 
where they they talk about improvising your your world. Mm. Um, and and so I just I thought I thought it was very very interesting. The camp uh, here's what it says in the 1979 version of the Dungeon Master's Guide: the campaign might grow slowly or it might mushroom. Be prepared for either event with more adventure areas and the reason for everything which exists and happens. This is not to say that total and absolute perfect information will be needed, but a general schema is required. For this, you can give vague hints and ambiguous answers. It is no exaggeration to state that the fantasy world builds itself. And I, like I, so that's the idea of the side quest. Well, they can say that because D&D can be made up as you go along. Exactly. A new dimension, a new like codification for Zyquets was added for video games because you have to specifically add them. You can't just have mm. a scenario where a player goes, oh, I'm going to investigate this wall now. You go, yeah. oh, well, I've just realized there's something really interesting on that wall. <laughs> no, you can't prepare for that. It's oh, all sure. going to be have to be part of the enclosed loop. Oh, yeah. But I, I think what the, the articles that I was reading were looking at, at how uh, tabletop RPGs informed video game RPGs later on. Uh, and so I just I, I just thought that was an interesting bit of history that I wanted to share. Now uh, let's move on to some of our favorite side quests. All right then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have one to start with because we just talked about The Witcher Three. One of my uh, favorite Witcher Three side quests. I had to look up the name for all of these, but I I definitely remember this one. Is when you. You head into a town and you start asking around if anyone needs any monster slate and the town is pissed at you because it just had a run in with another witcher who did a really bad job and you find a counterfeit witcher. Do you remember this? Oh, oh I think I do, actually. Bloody cowboy plumbers. <laughs> uh, I believe the quest is called Witcher Wannabe and like tracking down this other witcher to me really cemented like that. My my like self idea of Geralt, mm. oh excuse me of of Geralt, uh, and uh, and you know just like oh yes I am really good at my job being a witcher is really hard look at this asshole can't even do anything it it it, it gave me a really good sense of the character that would be a really that would probably be really satisfying to pull off because <laughs> there's there's, some, there's something about that specific scenario and mm-hmm. I I can think of some other examples. In in um, the third Thief game, which wasn't that good, it was better than the fourth Thief game. Sure, you can stumble across a side spot where, you, as you're sneaking around a house, like as you're sneaking around the like uh, the the hub town looking for shit to steal, mm-hmm. you overhear someone going, "Like, hello, my name's Garrett. I'm the master thief. Hire me, and I will do some stealing for you." And you hear this whole conversation between these two guys, uh, and. Um, Garrett, of course, characterizes as a very sarcastic character, so you're just waiting for him to say something after that conversation's over. Saying, and then he says something like, well, I think I'd better look into this, Garrett the Master Thief. <laughs> and, then, and then you just, then you like break into this dude who's pretending to be Yu's house and steal all his shit and knock him on the bonds and tie him up. Or, well, not that last thing. Or <laughs> maybe you just mess around with his rag doll if you're, if you're into that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and that, it, and that's it, beautiful. And it feels satisfying to contrast you know, the faker with you, the ultra-efficient protagonist. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, like, n- neither are necessary for the story to to continue, but it, it 
it gives you that sense of world, that sense of purpose. Yeah, it's a fun character building moment. Mm-hmm. And now we've talked about it, I think I'm going to have this as a side story in Starstruck Vagabond at some point. Ooh, I like that. Where some so, other space captain isn't as good as you or pretending to well, be you. Yeah, I've been coming trying to come up with like um stories for all the NPC crew members. Mm-hmm. And you go through the story to like get introduced to them and they get added to your crew. And this might be a fun one to do. Ooh, I like someone it. Someone who's just not as good at space captaining as you. <laughs> Ooh, Always it. pretending pretending to be you. Yes. Player empowerment. I love it. There you go. Hmm. All right. What do you have on your list of, of well, my books? well, my first example that uh, I thought was worth talking about was it's a game is a side quest that isn't a side quest, <gasps> and it happens in the game Gravity Rush, which was originally oh. a PS Vita exclusive, mm-hmm. but was late, later got a release on the other consoles after like ages which was a crime because it was actually a pretty good game i remember playing it on my vita yes but there's a bit in gravity rush where you presented a mission which for all intents and purposes looks like one of the many bullshit little side side quests that game has where you just run into like someone who's like standing uh next to a pit Mm -hmm. and then uh goes oh i accidentally dropped my the letter from my boyfriend down that hole now i can't go down there because i don't have gravity powers could you go and get the letter from my boyfriend? Mm-hmm. And you go, of course. This is like part and parcel of the life of a Gravity Rush protagonist. <laughs> Picking up somebody's bullshit. Mm-hmm. But then it turns out this isn't a side quest at all. This is the critical path. Because when you get down that hole, you find it opens up to a larger hole. And then an even larger hole. And you keep descending and descending down these increasingly massive abysses. And then you reach, like, the bottom of the world, and you get captured by this mysterious community. And then in the game's narrative, it's, like, something like two years within the game narrative before you get back to the top of the world. And you get back to the top of the world, and everything's changed, and an evil government's taken over. And it is possibly one of the most uh, surprising moments in that game. That's beautiful. That's jaw-dropping. That's beautiful. I think you even like run into the person whose letter you were going to get and they've completely forgotten you and the person who's written the letter. <laughs> that is that's insanity. That's crazy. That, that it's, of, it's a it's a quirky game and that's one of the moments that make it stand out for me. Yeah, yeah. Subversion, you say. <laughs> well, you you thought was X but was Y all along. It, and Ooh. and it's the the idea like the thing that makes side quests so magical something that I I talked about a little bit in the episode which is like giving you that sense of world like just adding part of the of the narrative that is isn't being force fed down your throat but also this catches you off guard because you think it's a side quest so mm-hmm. you're expecting it to just go back to like status quo after five minutes. You bring back the letter and she goes, oh, I've just realized this is not the letter I was after. Actually, I must have dropped it in a different pit on the other side of town. (laughs) And then eventually we all learn a lesson about friendship. Absolutely. And then go back to whatever you were doing. But because our guard was down, we were going, oh, guess we'll sort this out before we get on with whatever the next important thing we had to do was. (laughs) But wait. (laughs) That's that's great. that was where they use your expectations of established tropes mm. to uh, catch you off guard. Yeah. That's like meta side questing. 
That's like beyond the concept of side quests now. <laughs> now we're deconstructing the concept of side quests. That's beautiful. I think that's beautiful. That like that reminds me a lot of like your first time like doing a proper proper playthrough of Skyrim and you just end up in a random cave like oh there, there's probably some bandits maybe a wizard down here I'll quickly clear it out and and move on and then all of a sudden you're in like the dwarven ruins and robots yeah. are attacking you and you go what the, where the hell am I what is happening yes yeah <laughs> we were actually hoping to surprise you with this <laughs> you just it's like stumbling in and all the balloons are half put up and yeah. the st- <laughs> And but the happy still. birthday banner hasn't been nailed up on one side. And they go, shit, uh, happy birthday. Here's some robots to fight. But that, that it's still that joy of discovery, even though it might not have been the intended way they wanted you to discover it. You still get that joy of discovery. And in fact, you get more. You get a sneaky joy of discovery because you stumbled into it. Hmm. That's what I think, at least. Uh, let's see here. Next on my list of side quests I really enjoyed is uh, the sniper uh, in the dinosaur in Fallout New Vegas, which I believe is called One for My Baby. Hmm. And what happens in that one? You uh, you meet uh, you meet a you you run into a small settlement in the New Vegas wastelands, and there is a, a protector of this settlement, a little sniper in a, in a giant uh, dinosaur mouth uh, you know like one of those plexiglass dinosaurs and and he says hey i i can't find my wife uh i need someone to look for my wife can can you find her for me and it's it seems like it's a very simple side quest um but the neat thing about this quest is you can tell this guy that you found the person that kidnapped his wife and it doesn't necessarily have to be true you can you can shove anyone yeah. in front of that dinosaur mouth and he'll just kill them. <laughs> that was, of course, where uh, Fallout New Vegas uh, stood out from the other 3D Fallouts because mm. it was made by Obsidian, who brought back all their uh, commitment to actual quest branching Yes, that they had yeah. in the original Fallouts. Uh, so you, it, could just, you could just, like, lie. Yeah. You could just lie. And and like to me it's it's a pretty early quest in that game and it's just a great it's a great way to acclimate you to the different choices. You can go around, you can find who actually stole his wife and sold his wife to slavers and and punish that person or you could just pick someone you're pissed at and say, "Hey, go over there." And he'll snipe them and kill them in one shot. It's great. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of that sort of thing in um Planescape Torment. Mhm which was uh, quite very heavily character-based with lots of different branches you could take. And there'd be multiple times where you'd like get multiple conversation options and one of them would be like uh, something like, mm, I will help you. And then under that is the option, I will help you, open brackets, lie, close brackets. <laughs> and that's fun. And, the <laughs> and that's fun. And that's something that really should be like, especially it's, for RPGs, yeah. right? That's great for, like, building the character you want to build, I suppose. Yes. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's the, I mean, that's the other thing side quests are good for. By by selecting which side quests you do and not others, mm. you can form, you can more round out your idea of your own character. Right. You know what sort of things they think is important and what sort of things they'll just kick in the head because it sounds boring. Right. It's not like what do what do I think I would do? It's what do I think my character would do? 
So you could say that side quests are an essential part of RPGs rather than open world because uh, oh. the side quest is about is the only thing you can choose to do. So and that's yeah. that's the only the only role playing in the game. In the critical part, you always have to be basically the same character or it gets basically the same result. Hmm. I'd, I'd say for the most part, that's true. I think like even looking at something like New Vegas, there are obviously little variants here and there in the critical path. But mm. yes, for the most part in RPGs, they have an end point and it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you are the best sneaky archer in the world or a big dumb barbarian, you still have to kill the dragon at the end of Skyrim. Yeah, yeah. Hmm, mm, I like that. That's a really mm. good way to think about it is... In an RPG, the the side quests are the RPG. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, so far we've been talking about side stories mainly. Mm, okay. Like it's it's like a critical path, but it's not critical. It's just a path. Yeah. You go down here, here's story event A, B, and C. And I was when I talk about side quests, I think about excuse me, little windy pop. <laughs> I think about stuff that's. Um, not so much a side story as sort of a side activity running through the whole game. Oh, okay. And we've often cited the bad examples, like flags in Assassin's Creed. So I was trying to think uh-huh. of some examples of those that I've actually quite liked. And the first thing I've written down on my list here is Riddler trophies. What? Riddler trophies from that the you, Batman Arkham games. That you like? Yeah, yeah. And I'll, tell, and I'll tell you why I like the Riddler trophies <laughs> All in right. the Batman Arkham series. Firstly, because I quite like the Riddler as a character in those games. Uh-huh. He's, he's like, I think he's the only supervillain who's in all four games and has an arc running through them all. Okay. So at the, all right. in like Batman Arkham Origins, he's just like a, a, a hacker who is trying to do some sort of vigilante justice. And then like you defeat him and he goes a bit around the bend starts wearing weird green suits and then he's the riddler in arkham asylum and then in the next few games he gets more and more disheveled and insane mm-hmm. from game to game until by the end he's basically just not taking care of himself at all and he's looking gaunt and insane and completely sort of lost sight of what a riddle is because he's making you do because <laughs> he's making race tracks yeah <laughs> but i also think that's a big part of shaping the identity of the arkham world because hmm. you see them everywhere. There's like little green question marks sitting around the sides of buildings. It's It becomes part of the sort of central identity of that game. It's one of the few games I can think of where its like biggest side activity has such a strong visual identity. Hmm. I could, and maybe, I and maybe you think it's arbitrary bullshit, but I happen to think it's a nice sort of... Um, it's a nice thing to have running in the background of the games, I suppose. It's a nice sort of connecting element for me. I, while I understand your argument, uh, the I, I, I always thought the Riddler trophies were the worst part of all the Batman Arkham games. There's I mean, it sort so of raises of some them. questions about Batman's motivation if he puts so if he's willing to put so much work <laughs> into getting them. Right. Well, I think Batman. secretly, they, I secretly, they're both kind of like this whole business. I said, "Is I, I, he's Batman? Just you know, you know, he collected football stickers when he was a kid. And he, he he just likes being reminded of those times. He has some obsessive tendencies, one could say. <laughs> yeah, they got that in common. Exactly. I don't really, un, 
I never really understood... I mean, I guess this is a point against Riddler's characterization in those games. I never understood if he actually wanted you to solve his riddles or not. Because by the end of every game, he like uh, goes, No, how have you defeated me by solving all my riddles? You must have cheated. I despise you. And but then th- like he like seems to get openly frustrated if you seem to be having trouble figuring out his puzzles every now and again. And and they've handled this really well in a few comic runs where where Riddler has flat out said like yes I, the reason why I keep toying with you is because you're the only one who can keep solving my puzzles and you challenge me as a as a a, a clever person you, you know Batman you are the reason I exist I keep doing this because you it's, keep putting up a challenge yeah it's like the relationship between a game designer and the players exactly and said you'll never solve this one except i kind of want you to yeah. so you'll <laughs> put a, like take a video of yourself doing it and put it on youtube and that will raise my profile yeah that's what he's doing well that's you know i think that's that is something very very specific to game designers game masters where it's like you are facilitating the fun and so you want to make it challenging and you could very easily make it impossible but then there's no fun in that right like a game designer could make a game literally impossible yeah of course they could and there'd be no yeah, as you say, there'd be no fun in that. The real fun is making something that's almost impossible and seeing who figures it out. Exactly. Just that 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 comfort zone, that gray area where it's like some people can't do this, some people can, and finding that balance and difficulty. That's the real fun. And mm. yeah, and so, like I said, they they've handled the Riddler in some comic runs very well like that. He's like being Jigsaw from the Saw movies. That, that's like <laughs> probably the main inspiration yeah, probably. for the way he's done in the in the Arkham games. Yeah. And I do appreciate that they put a little puzzle with each one. Hmm. A mm-hmm. lot of games just do the Assassin's Creed thing. They just put it in a in a spot, in an unlikely spot. Oh, bet you wouldn't get a bet you wouldn't come here. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. that they, there is some like uh, gameplay design goes into it as well. And I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Uh, I'm trying to think of other kind of examples of like truly side stuff that doesn't necessarily have its own story or its own thing. Well, I have one, but that's oh. my next. That's like the last thing on my list of oh, examples sure. of side quests to highlight. Well, and I, you know, I guess what I'm thinking of is back to, back in Skyrim. You know, <laughs> like you can buy a house in each major city. You can yeah. build your own house if you collect enough materials. And while I do enjoy that, like even Breath of the Wild, right? Like Link can buy his own house and you can decorate it and put shit in it. The, the there's a there's a utility in Skyrim where once you buy your house, you get a trunk that you can put in your house. So you can put all your extra crap in that trunk that you might want eventually, right? You can you can decorate it. You can you can fill it with all like the extra food, so you can take that food with you. Any extra potion that you get, you can put it in there, so it doesn't add to your uh, encumbrance. Like it has a bit of a utility to it, but it's also real bullshit. Like it's it's it doesn't do a whole lot. Some people just want to role play. I guess it's yeah. it's for those weirdos. <laughs> I live in this world. <laughs> I'm going to position my character next to this table and pretend I'm having dinner with my imaginary wife. <laughs> my thrall. 
Uh, all right. Well, yeah, there's there's two that I want to mention um, that are along the same lines as far as side quests that I really enjoyed, uh, which are side quests that then tie back into the critical path. Um, mm. One being Horizon Zero Dawn in which uh, your main battle at the end of the game between all of the evil robots, if you have completed certain side quests, those mm. characters come and help you fight. And I think that's so beautiful. Yeah, there's a few games that do that. Yes. Uh, I think there's a, I want to say, a couple of the Fallout, Dragon Age, mm. uh, Elder Scrolls games, that sort of thing where um, you get bailed out by whatever faction you've helped out the most yeah i think that happened in um the outer worlds as well hmm. yeah no and i i always like i like that because then there is a there is a bigger payoff there's a bigger payoff yeah. to all this setup and you know for there's her a, there's an investment right and it, it like for horizon zero dawn it was an unknown investment i was just doing these side quests i enjoyed those stories and then eventually it's like oh it's like a it's a treat it's a little cake topper I don't know what it is. It's a payoff. Yeah. It's a payoff for putting the work in. There's mm. a lot of games where you just do the side quest and they go, oh, we all, that's the end of that side quest. We all learn something about friendship. Bye. <laughs> but yeah, for some reason, I'm thinking of uh, Mass Effect 2, where all your crew members have like a side story. Mm. And if you complete their individual side story, and for that reason only, that character survives the like climactic sequence at the end of the game. Oh. If you didn't do their side story, then they're one of the, then they die. I mean, it's a bit uh hard line. Because you obviously didn't care enough about them. Yeah. I guess that's I guess that's what they're going by. You didn't care about this character, so we killed them off. Hope you're satisfied. Bye. They loved you. <laughs> yeah. But that's that's a good example of um, side questing having a payoff in the mm. critical path. Well, and along those lines, and I, I promise I will not talk about Dark Souls too much. But in Dark Souls Three, uh, the the Sigurd of Katarina side quest. Oh yes, that's got a payoff. Oh, and and you know the first time I went through the game, I didn't know about it. I was you know oh like I found him here, and I just so happened to do everything in the right order. I got him his armor back. I got him here. I, I helped him here. I helped him here. And I just thought like, oh, what a fun nod to Onion Bro, right? That's sort of the trouble with um, Souls games. And I know we promised we weren't going to talk too much about those because we talked too much just, about it the last two episodes. Just, just a little bit. Well, the thing with the side quest is it's one of many things you probably won't um, uh, pass unless you have looked up how to do so. Right. I mean, the Sigmire's plot in the first Dark Souls, um, to advance it at one point, you have to go back to Blighttown. And there's literally no reason to go to Blighttown at that point in the game. Right. And then find him in some out-of-the-way spot saying, oh, I appear to be in a pickle again. <laughs> no, and then, and then like to advance his story even more, you need to half fight incredibly difficult enemies but not fully because yeah. he has to fight a little bit too but no no it's but yeah, yeah. but like the sigward during uh, dark souls 3 has a kind of a logical step to it and then you know as well, you're the fact that you stumbled upon it indicates that uh, i suppose there must be like a path yeah. and i guess it must be all the more satisfying 
so for the small number of people who accidentally stumble upon these things. And then he shows up to a boss fight. You know, like you don't have to yeah. summon him. He just shows up and helps with a boss fight. It it was a genuine moment of pride for me. Yeah. It was like, I did something right. Sigbert is here. That, I mean, it's obscure, the things you have to do. Mm-hmm. But the fact that some people figure it out by themselves makes the feeling of satisfaction they get yeah. all the all the better. It's like if I look to camera and say, hey, Adrian, take that job you were thinking about. That won't apply to most people, but it would it be worth it for just a very small number of people called Adrian who are not sure if they're going to be taking a job <laughs> who are watching this podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Like saying, the card you're thinking of is the Seven of Diamonds. Probably wasn't, but it mm-hmm. was it worth it to really freak the shit out of the people, the very small number of people for whom it was, for whom we're currently like shuffling through a deck of cards and stopped right when you said that, and they they just happen to have that card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But but you know, it's more worth importantly, it just to freak out that very small number of people. And and it it pays off. It has the the grand applause moment. Everything builds to that peak. Um, in both of those examples, and uh, I, 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 there's one more Dark Souls thing I want to mention, but you know, we'll see, we'll see what Yahtzee has to say. <laughs> well, this is the last thing on my list, yeah, which is in the territory of side activities that can run through the whole game, okay, and that's Zelda Wind Waker figurine collecting. Oh, I have to remember the figurines now. This is a difficult thing to find. And it's basically designed for people who've, like, done everything else in the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what happens is you stumble upon this, uh, what they call the Nintendo Workshop. Okay. Which is this dude in a shed who makes figurines. But he can only make a figurine if you give him a photograph of the thing you want a figurine made out of. And here's the thing. He will make a figurine out of every monster and every character in the game if you take a photo of it. Real and you can, and he's got this entire museum next to his shed that's full of pedestals, mostly empty. Yeah. So what this does is it adds an extra activity to everything you do. You can't just kill the bosses. You can't just kill all the monsters. You also now have to take a picture of them, and it has to be a good picture. You have to be able to see the whole boss, <laughs> and they have to be facing the front, and maybe like putting up two fingers and making a little winky face does it tell you if it's a good picture it doesn't no you have to take the picture go all the way to the nintendo workshop give it to this dude (laughs) and then and only then will you know if it was a good enough picture holy crap that's a lot as i say it's for the people who've like done everything else right but i appreciate it from a sort of zen perspective it gives you a chance to appreciate the uh the look of all the characters because that it's a pretty good looking game mm-hmm. it gives you like a, an extra thing to have in the back of your mind throughout the course of every other thing you do in that game <laughs> it, it sort of adds a new dimension we are now role-playing link as an infuriating tourist oh man it's that's a, wait 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 crazy. wait I can't fight, I can't beat you yet, boss fight. Got to capture this moment for the kids back home. Just, just so, wildly just rolling away. Just no, don't hit me, don't hit me. Oh no, don't hit me, don't hit me. <laughs> and also, like you know, I think every time you get him to make a figurine, you get an extra bit of like flavor text describing the thing 
you took a picture of. And then you can like examine the model from all sides yeah. on its pedestal. So it's like a bunch of things in one. It's like 100% completion. It's like building the like the world. Mm-hmm. It's uh, uh, it's making a little art gallery. And it's, as I say, adding the new dimension to gameplay mm. as you go through it. Uh, that's fair. That's really fair. I I think that might be a little too much for me as far it's probably too much for a lot of people. I just appreciate the way it's a side quest that can like naturally run through everything. Like sure. 100%ing all the scans in Metroid Prime. Ooh, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not just fighting all the monsters, but remembering to scan them all as well. Scanning mechanic is a one of the best parts of Metroid Prime, to my mind. Absolutely. It's a, it's a combination tutorial system, world-building system, hint system... All sorts of things, and and integral to gameplay as like that's the only way you can find enemies' weaknesses. Uh, it mm. tells you story. It's a way of of linking gameplay uh, and storytelling. It's yes, it's one of the reasons why Metroid Prime is brilliant. Well done, Metroid Prime. Yeah, you did we, it. We all love you. Please mm-hmm. do another game. Come on, come on, come on. Or What's or let us play you? your games on modern consoles. What's wrong with you? Free money. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the the last thing that came up on my list uh, for, you know, I was, I was thinking of games that I've played and like kind of things that have stuck with me that were side questy and it's going to be Dark Souls. <laughs> Sorry, Th- I'm, this has been 95% not Dark Souls, so I can we can get a little bit of Dark Souls, which is Dark Gwendolyn. Dark Sun Gwendolyn. Dark Sun Gwendolyn. Okay. The go, go on. The fact that uh, I want to say, uh, you know, the first few times I played and completed Dark Souls, I did so not even realizing that Dark Sun Gwendolyn was a thing in the game. Mm, big part of the lore as well huge part of the lore like very integral to kind of the story of of like the theme right of keeping alive a dying world yeah because it turns out spoiler alert a large part of one of the most significant parts of the game is an illusion Mm -hmm. being perpetrated by dark sun gwendolyn and you can get through the whole game without ever realizing this that's beautiful like the the and the fact that they like they also covered it up with you know like gigantic beautiful gorgeous voluptuous woman right like <laughs> like something that was laser focused to gamers as we've seen now with the new Resident Evil uh, voluptuous lady where they're like yeah, you people will have just gone mad for that you know you will adore Gwendolyn you will do anything for her it's all an illusion it's all fake it's beautiful. Yes. I mean, everything's fake. It's a video game. But oh. this was double fake. This was contextual fake as well. Well, and and then, you know, like... You the, thought you could slide your head between those big old dirty pillows and go blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, you can't. You could try, but then you piss some people off because it turned out they weren't real. And, and then... And just not in the, the way titties aren't real in the usual sense. These aren't just cartoon titties. These are fake cartoon titties. The the absolute eerie atmosphere that uh, New Londor or Ano Ano Londor 
has after you, even like if you accidentally hit Gwendolyn with, with something, all of the enemies go away. It's, it's, uh, Anna Londor is now in darkness. There's no one to yeah. fight. It is creepy as hell walking through the giant empty halls. And there's a, there's a, like a PvP covenant where, that you can join where you can like invade the worlds of people who have ruined their Anna Londo yes. and kick the shit out of them for being a bunch of spoil sports. <laughs> right. And so, like, like I said, so that, there's, yeah, that's, that's a whole lot of design that they didn't need to do. Yes. I mean, it's all in, like, the side stuff. I suppose, yeah, in Dark Souls. But we weren't going to talk too much about that because we've gushed about Dark Souls so much. No, no, no. Just just the idea <laughs> of, like, you know, truly, truly something not only on the side, something literally hidden, something so unnecessary. <laughs> uh, yes, and, and that's all of my Dark Souls talk, I swear. All right. And I guess that's all the stuff we had to say about side quests as well. <laughs> uh yeah there was like a few honorable mentions like thinking of like uh batman arkham knight uh i really enjoyed all the stuff that you could happen across like do you remember like floating around the city and just hearing classical music and going what the hell is that all about yeah Ooh. that was pretty well done Ooh, loved that. that was getting away from the the ubisoft sandbox problem where everything's just icon on map yes there's icon on map go to icon on map Press button on thing, move on to next icon on map. Yeah, and there, there are and a few I like things. It, I like it when they introduce a more organic way of finding yeah. uh, the activities. Like that and, uh, and man bat, I want to say, were just like random things that you could happen across while gliding across the city. And that made me feel like Batman. That made me feel like I was jumping from rooftop to rooftop and just fighting crime wherever it pops up. Well, as long as it makes you feel like Batman. It's true. So yeah, that those are my honorable mentions. Uh, that's all I got for side quests. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this podcast <laughs> about side quests, everyone. <laughs> yes. Um, if you haven't, uh, this episode was based off of our slightly civil war, talking about which is more important, side quests or the main uh, or the critical path, as it is known. How many more individual elements of video games can we squeeze podcasts out of, I wonder? Every single gosh darn one of them. Uh, you can go uh, watch that over on escapistmagazine.com where you can become an Escapist Plus member that has a ton of perks. You probably heard about them before this episode because we talked about it. Uh, or you can become a YouTube member and uh, get things like our videos a week early on YouTube uh, and special emotes when we live stream. The yes. Yes. and remember to follow us all on Twitter. I'm at Yahtzee Crochel. I'm at Harlack. You can follow the Escapist on at Escapist Magazine and or zero punctuation, just a zero punctuation on at C punctuation. And that's all the plugs. So thanks for listening or watching. Did I mention Toffee's wearing his Marty McFly vest today? We're gonna go back in time. We're gonna go back in time. Um, I guess I know what our Halloween family Halloween costumes are going to be this year. Yes. Yes, do it. Wait, if he's Marty McFly, what are you going to be? Doc Brown? I suppose. (laughs) Maybe my wife can be Biff Tannen. I love it. I love it. Especially if she's old man Biff Tannen with like, just have some car wax with her. (laughs) Mm. 
Alright. Alright. Toffee saying goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks for watching and listening. Bye. Bye.